So this morning we're continuing our Easter's Tide sermon series that we've been working through over the past, this is week, over the past six, seven weeks, this is week seven, um, of looking what it means to live with the resurrected Christ, that post-Easter Jesus journeyed with his disciples for 40 days before he ascended. So what does it mean for us to embody the kind of renewal that Jesus is about? And this morning's message, I really want to address what I think is an important theological question. The question of why does God the Father rule the universe, rule the cosmos with his left hand? Because Jesus is seated at his right hand on his... I've been reading some theologians this week, and one of them started his article on the topic of the ascension of Jesus with a bad joke, and I thought, what better place to get your humor from than theologians? So this morning, we're going to talk about the ascension of Jesus, um, and I'd like to do that by starting with a couple of Bible passages, first from the book of Acts, and then secondly from a passage in the book of Ephesians. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to open to... Acts chapter 1, and also have maybe have prepped Ephesians chapter 1. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then, he gathered around them, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And from Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called, has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his in- incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the, name, in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, as we open your word this morning, may we find your word alive speaking to us. May our hearts, may our minds be open to where you're wanting to lead us and guide us. We trust you in this, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, in the life of our world, we had a significant event a couple of weeks ago. If we want to bring up on the screen... The coronation of King Charles. Just a quick raise of it. Who watched the coronation two weeks ago? Cool. Who avoided it? Cool. Good to know. This is an event that, with it, like, it was pretty hard to stay away from me. Like, even across the road here, 
I think honestly since um, Elizabeth's Jubilee last year, it's just been decorated with royal um, royalty staff princess pictures of Elizabeth of Charles for like six, nine months. There's been something of that's been unavoidable of the coronation, that it's the significant world event um, for us as um, part of the Commonwealth, but particularly um, for those in England. Personally, I have family who live in London, and we, we had both extremes as well. Some of my family were there in the lines watching Charles go past both directions. I also had family members who were like, we cannot do this, and literally left the country to France, because they're like, <laughs> that's the only way to get away from this thing. <laughs> but it's this moment, right, of sig like significance, mostly symbolic, of like, for our Commonwealth, for England, of like, there's a change. There's a new person ruling and reigning and figuring out what that means. For some, it's been, yeah, this is love it, enjoy it. It's a chance for a party, even if you're super into it or not. Some of us, it's a void and stay away. Some of it's, it's a chance to actually critically examine the role of the crown throughout history. But it's been this thing that's been around us over the past few weeks. And... Um, I think there's something that can speak to what it means that Jesus is Lord and King. If you watch the coronation service, which I did, they were trying to link to Jesus. That Charles and um, Justin Welby, the Anglican minister who ran it, framed it around actually wanting to him an imitation of Christ. It was framed around Jesus as a servant. And this morning, I want to look at this event that actually was celebrated on Thursday, the Ascension of Jesus. The Easter tide that we're celebrating is a season of 50 days that in the Western church goes from the resurrection of Jesus to Pentecost. In the Eastern church, it actually ends, ended on Thursday with the Ascension. But it's this period after Jesus is raised before he leaves and sends his spirit. And this morning I want to look at what is the significance of Jesus' ascension? For, because Around church, you don't often hear messages, hear talks, think about the ascension of Jesus and its significance. Like, we, we literally have days that celebrate his birth, his death, his resurrection, not just as a church, but as a country. Like, we take public holidays off to mark these moments, but we don't do that for the ascension. Yet it actually holds some significance for us as the people of God. For John Wesley, who we follow after as Wesleyan Methodists, he marked three days that don't come on Sundays as holy days that we need to commemorate. And these were Good Friday, Christmas, and the Ascension of Jesus. These are moments that we need to stop and realize they hold significance for us. For the gospel writer of Luke, he sees it as incredibly important. So Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and he also writes the book of Acts as kind of part one and part two. And he closes the book of Luke with the ascension with these words. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. That he closes the life of Jesus with the ascension. And then he repeats it with the start of the church in the book of Acts. This verse that says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. It's this bridging event 
between the life of Jesus and the work of the church. And there's something significant to be acknowledged in it. And I brought up the coronation earlier because I think there's some helpful like significance that mirrors in a coronation. So Elizabeth died, Queen Elizabeth II died in September last year. So Charles effectively was king. He was king at the point of her death. He's had he's been fulfilling the duty, the role as king since that moment. But it was kind of at the coronation was the moment where it was publicly acknowledged, celebrated, authority formally given. And there's some similarity with actually the ascension of Jesus. That it is as is at his resurrection, he is king. But it's actually in his ascension that it's this moment of raised up to be seated at the right hand of God and given authority and dominion and power. That's the moment of coronation. He's like the resurrection achieved that, but the ascension is this moment that we mark, that we acknowledge that he is really Lord and King. It's this moment in Luke's gospel where the disciples finally worship Jesus. They don't worship him after his resurrection. It's when he's ascended that they realize this is the one we worship, that we adore. That when Jesus ascends, this moment where he rises into heaven, it's also important because he, when he ascends, it's not like this spirit leaves his body or that his divinity leaves his humanity. But Jesus ascends to heaven in his human form with his scars from the cross to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so why does this matter for us? I think firstly, it points us to what Jesus is doing now. I don't know you, but for me personally, when I sit with the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's easy to just see it as a historical event. To sit it with his teachings, that should inform what I do now. But it's a past thing, whereas the ascension of Jesus points to what Jesus is up to now. That he wasn't just alive then, he is alive now. He is working, he is moving, he is doing things. And that matters for us. There's a reason, this is the reason I think why the most quoted psalm in the New Testament most quoted passage is Psalm 110, which starts off with these words. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. There's something important for us to acknowledge what Jesus is up to now. Stephen Seaman sums this up by saying these words. Whenever we fail to proclaim the ascended Christ, enthroned and exalted, something else, our personal agendas, the world's agenda, the church's agenda, moves into full of vacuum. Mark it down, when we fail to exalt and enthrone Jesus, something or someone else inevitably assumes the throne. That in the ascension we acknowledge that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, enthroned and exalted. Jesus is reigning over all with all power and authority and dominion. And that's a good thing. That it may not look like that in our world, but man, if God is reigning as king with all authority and power, if we look at Jesus' words of what his kingdom looks like, that means that's good news for the poor. That means there's freedom for those who are captive. Stuff that we feel like we're trapped in. Jesus as king means, oh, there's possibility to break out from that stuff. 
there's possibility for that kingdom to be broken in and we see freedom, see goodness, see hope, see healing in our lives, in our families' lives, in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our universities. Because Jesus is Lord and King over all those places. He has authority and power over those places. It's not the ones whom we may think are in charge. Jesus is in charge. And that's such good news. That's so exciting, I think. Because the agenda of Jesus, as we've been looking in the series, is the renewal of all things. He wants to make things whole and restored and good. That's what Jesus in charge means. I wonder for us, as we reflect on our lives, of our families, of our communities, of our workplaces, what would it look like to think of God's in charge of this place? He wants, he desires, he's bringing in renewal into these places. What might that look like if that was our posture? That where there's dysfunction and brokenness, if Jesus is Lord and King over our world, Man, there's chance for hope and healing in those places. Places that seem incredibly dark with those who think they're in power. Man, if Jesus is in charge, man, goodness might spring up. If we just can be awakened to the reality that he's in charge, no one else is. There may be kings, there may be people given those titles, but Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the one in charge. That this may shape our identity, our priorities, our values, how we see time, how we see money, how we see relationships. If he and how he runs things, if we're aware, if we're awakened to our world runs his way, It may not seem it at times, but if we trust him and come under his lordship and kingship, we get to participate in that. But I wonder for us sometimes why it doesn't feel like that, why our lives don't look like lives where Jesus reigns as king. Because I think we're invited in to participate and witness to this. Our passage this morning had these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to be these people who are aware, acknowledge Jesus as Lord and King and are witnessing to that, are living in a way in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces that gives witness to, no, we know that Jesus is King here. This is how he runs things, so this is how we're going to operate in these places. We're going to live out to his values, his way of doing things, be faithful to him in those contexts, because we know actually he's the one in charge, no one else. There's this great image that theologian Tom Wright talks about of this image of good news that's used in scripture. It kind of comes from the historical context where when a military victor won a battle and took over a region, often it was a victory in one context, but it had implication for the whole country. And so what would happen is messengers would be sent out with this news of like, hey, you didn't see the battle, but here's the news. 
There's a new ruling power in charge, and this is how things are going to be. And that's what our role as followers of Christ, to be those people who go out into the world saying, hey, there's a new kingdom in charge, there's a new king in charge, and this is how things are going to operate. This is how his kingdom works. This is what our king looks like. These are his values. These are his priorities. Not the way that maybe people in charge think it should go. That this is a good king who wants to bring his restoration, his renewal into our world. And we get to be witnesses of that, of to call people and point people to that. How exciting is that? (coughs) That that's actually, it's not just like a good idea or a competing idea, a competing theology. It's how things actually are. When we talk here about we're awakening people, it's not about like we've got a better idea or better view it's like no you're asleep you don't realize jesus is in charge wake up wake up see he's the one who's ruling and reigning you've been asleep like you're just walking around bumping into things not aware wake up and see that he is in charge and man that is a good beautiful thing because man he is a good beautiful god And we get to witness to that as we wake up to who he is and how he is in charge. And as as his people, the passage in Ephesians continues with this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That the message is we go out into these places not because we've got a This is a kingdom that works by goodness and grace. Wake up and receive. That we go into our families, our workplaces, our communities and say, there's goodness available here. If you realize that Jesus is Lord and King over everything, that doesn't work by earning that. You don't earn your way to a place of respect with the King. He gives it to you. If your life is orientated around, I've got to work these things to get to the ultimate good, God says, that's not how things work in my kingdom. I come and I give to you if you'll acknowledge me as Lord and King, if you'll wake up to that. We get to participate in this renewal of all things and be witness to it. And it shapes, I think, our whole lives. I think for me, thinking back in like super small ways that my life has been transformed by this. For me, growing up as a kid, I, my worldview, my family values, like what I thought happened, how I thought the world worked under the kingdoms of powers was that I needed to achieve. I needed to work to this stuff. I needed to figure stuff out by myself. I couldn't rely on others. I needed to be the one who sorted it out. And even thinking glimpses through my life of God saying, that's not how my kingdom works. 
My kingdom of one is deep community where we care and love and support each other. Like I think, even as a, like a teenager, experiencing this in a way that was like, this is new and I love it. At high school, I can remember just this practice amongst like my wider group of friends of when you bought a bit of food from the canteen at school, the idea was that it was the group's purchase, that as the one who bought it, you're entitled to the first sip, because that was like the first sip of a bottle of Coke, because that was thought of as the best part. But actually, after you had the first sip, anyone else in the group could say, can I have a sip, bro? And it was just passed around. The same, if you bought a pie, you had entitled to the first bite, but then everyone else could have a munch. And like it seems, but for me, growing up where it was like, no, I sort myself out. I have everything as mine. That was like, ah, oh, there's a different way of doing things. That where things are communal, the, the practical stuff. When I went flatting amongst a group of guys who it was a similar thing of like, I've rooms with a guy who was like, we shared clothes. It was like, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. It was like, what? This is not how I'm used to operating. And for me, that was like transformational. But then even this last week, realizing like, oh, I got it in the practical sense of the sharing of life. But um, realizing like actually the core stuff that's happening in my life and my soul, I've still got parts of me that it's like, oh, I don't work how God's kingdom works. My friend at the start of this year, my best friend, moved up to Wellington. Um, he was living in Christchurch. And so we don't see each other really anymore. Um, and I messaged him this week and said, hey, can we do a video call? And I don't know if, and his response was, what's wrong? What's happened? Like, that's our relationship. Like, oh, David says he wants to have a call. Something must have gone wrong significantly in his life. And the, vol- the response that I gave, which felt so vulnerable, was, no, I just miss you and want to talk. And it was like this, like, oh, I'm, my default is I don't share the stuff of my heart and the feelings and the missing people. I just sort that out myself. And to share that in a relationship was like, oh, I don't run by God's kingdom. I run by some other kingdom. And it's not healthy and it's not helpful and it's not bringing my renewal and goodness. Yet I've choose to stick in that way because I know it and I can control it. Yet the invitation for me was to like, ah, maybe God's kingdom is a better way. Maybe if I acknowledge him as Lord and King, I'll see that renewal. I think this can play out in a whole different other ways in our lives where we've got our own we've got the king hat on our head or we've put someone else in there, some idea, some actual person, some ideology of like, that's the thing that's in charge. That's actually how the world works. And maybe I'll like pull Jesus in to help me get to that thing rather than acknowledge he's the one who's Lord and king and running things. And it's he runs things well, that he's good at it. I think this can even happen in our faith journeys that we can get this idealized description of like what a, a faithful Christian can look like. And then when things come in that we are not expecting, they can feel like distractions. Like, oh, why's this thing come up? It's just taking me away from Jesus. And maybe Jesus is saying, no, it's because you've got this ideal. What if the distraction is actually the thing that I'm wanting to work with you in? Like for us, we have young kids. And it's like, sometimes it's hard to be like, I've sit down for five minutes to have a Devo time. 
because it's like the kid might come in with a need and it's like you can have the posture of like oh they've just taken me away from my god time or it could be like oh maybe actually god's inviting me something in that moment to meet him and be formed in that that when i'm frustrated annoyed god might be inviting me to process that with him to feel that stuff maybe it's in our career and vocation where we've actually got this we've put this other idea of what a good life is and what my career should look like. And when something comes in and takes that out or is slower than expected, it's like, oh, God, why are you doing this? And maybe he's saying, actually, I'm inviting you to acknowledge me as Lord and King, and I'm wanting to do some work in this in and through you. I think it's important that in our lives, in all areas, we acknowledge and recognize Jesus as Lord and King, because his kingdom is one of renewal and goodness, and I think it's ultimately one that he is the only one who can bear the weight of what it means to hold everything, because I know for me, and I wonder for some of us, is the default is actually to control the way that we hold it together, is a sense of control, wanting to keep things orderly wanting to keep ourselves as Lord and King. And I think sometimes God brings stuff in that just pricks that sense of control of like, maybe you're not actually in control. And then we give up that sense of control to God. It lets us process what he's wanting to do in and through our lives. Like I think, I wonder some, for some of us if there's m- things that we've got this tight hold of control and God's saying, will you let me be Lord and King? And that will let you grieve, let you process, let all the emotions come out of that thing that you felt like you had to control and you just need to grieve it of like actually it didn't go that relationship that goal that job didn't go the way you wanted that you expected that you're disappointed that you're sad but when you're lord and king you kind of can't get to that place you've just got to hold control and the invitation of god being like let me be lord and king and you grieve that and i'm going to take you on a journey through that to renewal and restoration that by giving up control of our lives to him we actually can find renewal and restoration for me and i wonder for many of us that feels counterintuitive of like no but i've got to be the one who gets there who does the who like controls this process and god's saying let me be lord and king and guide you through this let me lead you through this that there's things in your own heart, in your own soul, in your relationship, in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, that God's saying, will you let me be Lord and King over that? Let me do a work in you in that situation because I am a God of renewal and hope and restoration and freedom and wholeness. Will you let me in? Because the message of Jesus ascended to the right hand of God is not that, like, actually we're choosing. God is in control. God does have all power and authority. And if we're holding on to that, we're living in unreality. 
And that's often why things don't go well, why we get stuck. Because we're literally living asleep. So the invitation this morning is, is there an area of your life that God is wanting to bring wholeness and hope and restoration and healing? Because that's the kind of God that he is. But he's inviting you to wake up in that, to the reality that he is Lord and King, and you need to trust him as that. Trust him as good in that. It may not go the way that you want or expect, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe God's wanting to do an incredible creative work beyond what we can imagine in that. They we get to be witnesses of that as we let him be Lord and King in our lives. Man, what a powerful witness in our world at like a super personal one-on-one relationship. But then in the wider context as well, what does it mean to be a people who witness to, who live lives as if Jesus is King because he is King? That that's what our world will see and think, oh, maybe they know how things work. Maybe they're living in true reality.